0: Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ. And today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at colomunda.church. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Please have a seat. My name's Brad, thank you Caden, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's great to be with you this morning in this, my favorite time of year, Christmas, I love it, I really do enjoy this time of year. Hey, before I get into this morning, just to let you know, uh, be praying tonight for the Sturk Park Carols event down at Stirk Park, where thousands of people come and pray for the MC, because he's got a big job on his hands, and uh, just that opportunity to, to bless our community and pray for open hearts, and just over that, that whole event, really looking forward to that. Who's coming? A few of us are coming. Yeah, bring your picnic rugs, your nibbles and drinks. It's going to be great. Also, uh, we've got Sharing of Hills Christmas kicking off this week, starting tomorrow, and so uh, a bit of a favour, if you could help us after the service. We need uh, all the chairs packed up. Don't have to do it straight away, maybe grab a coffee once the coffee's sort of lulling down. But we do need all the chairs packed up and we also need some help in moving um, the foyer, uh, all the furniture from the foyer up to the mezzanine in the corner and then also help for over the other side where our function centre is, where the little kids room is. Uh, There's shopping trolleys, five shopping trolleys and we've got heaps of food to fill them up and push them over here and bring them up to the mezzanine. If anyone is available to help after this great, wonderful ministry this week, Sharing a Hills Christmas to bless people in our community, uh, please help us out. Is that cool? Excellent. So the work begins Sunday morning. The work begins. Hey, I heard a story about three people. There was a surgeon, there was an engineer, and there was a politician. And they were having this interesting uh, conversation, debate, and they were talking about who has the oldest profession, whose profession goes back the way back. Who's the oldest? And the surgeon said, "Well." Look, I'm pretty sure my, my profession goes back, way back to Genesis, because in the book of Genesis, it says that God carved woman out of the side of Adam and took the rib and made woman, so the surgeon is the oldest profession going back. The engineer looked at him and said, no, 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 no. I go way back further than that. I'm an engineer. Our profession goes way back. Even before that, there was, there was all this chaos, and it had to be created and made into order, and, 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 and God created order out of chaos and made it all to be. So engineering that, engineers go way, 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 way back. And the politician looked at him and said, <laughs> who do you think created the chaos? So politicians do have the oldest known to man. Politics is often a divisive topic, is it not? And as we enter Christmas season, we're about to celebrate a Saviour born. But this morning, we're getting into our Christmas series, Uh, not just a Saviour born over 2,000 years ago, but also a king that was coming. And this king was bringing with him, and both will bring with him, a government. And this government that Jesus brings actually divides people. It is actually divisive. In fact, Jesus divided people even up to his death on the cross. He divided two criminals. And today, the cross of Christ still divides people. And the name Jesus, you can talk about God all you like. And you'll notice tonight at Stirk Park, people are happy with God. It's okay. But once you proclaim the name of Jesus, something changes. People start to get a little bit agitated because there is power in the name of Jesus. And it really does make a difference. And it starts to get people a bit anxious. That's why, 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 uh, why it's such a powerful, powerful thing. See, Jesus wasn't bringing a new religion, but right from the start, he was bringing an old government that was here before back to earth. And he called this government the kingdom of God. His very first message was, repent, turn and repent, um, for the kingdom of God is at hand. There's a new government at hand. And I'm going to go to one scripture this morning. If you've got your tablets, your phones, Isaiah chapter 9, a famous scripture. We're just going to look at it this morning because it's so powerful. Because 700 years before Jesus arrived, there was this prophet called Isaiah. And Isaiah had a lot to prophesy about. A very special book uh, about things that are still yet to happen in our time and space in history. Uh, Isaiah was prophesying an extremely dark period of the punishment, of of, of Israel's punishment in their history. And he sees way ahead into the future in this time of punishment, in this time of darkness, he sees hope and he sees deliverance. And that's what Christmas really is for us today, as in a time where it can seem dark that we look ahead and the Christmas message should bring hope and it should bring deliverance. Amen? At Christmas we do the same. The prophet announces that the Lord will send a Redeemer the promised Messiah. Let's read it and you might know, may know it as a song, feel free to sing it, whatever you want to do. Here we go, you ready? Isaiah chapter 9 and in the verse 6 it says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. I like the old King James, unto us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Wouldn't it be great if Politicians didn't put it on our shoulders, but they they wear it. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Fantastic prophecy that is powerful, and when Isaiah wrote this prediction of the coming Messiah. What he was doing was wanting to spur Israel to remember that the Messiah indeed was coming to establish his kingdom. This period of history was where the Assyrians were on the march and taking over and taking people captive by droves. And Isaiah's prophecy was to bring this hope at a desperate time that was needed. The child, obviously, we know that he was talking about. We know he was talking about Jesus. But the prophecy itself that we read there is not finished yet. It's actually not finished in Jesus. He sees past Jesus. He sees into the future where Jesus will actually come again and bring his government in a physical sense on the earth, a new heavens and a new earth. So this is a fantastic prophecy about Jesus that I just want to unpack with us. Are you cool with that? Let's unpack this prophecy. Number one, we see the foreshadowing, the foretelling of Christmas, but we see Isaiah foresees, foretells the the Messiah, Jesus, his humanity. He says, for unto us a child is born. That is speaking of the humanity that Jesus would come as a human being. Um, He got tired, Jesus. He needed to sleep. Jesus needed to eat. He needed to drink. Jesus had opportunity and was tempted as we are tempted. He experienced what it was like to be fully human. And at Christmas, it's important to know this, that God understands your humanity in a unique way. In a very unique way, he understands what it's like to be human. He wraps skin on, I mean, and came to earth as a human. You've seen them shows, Undercover Boss, where the, the big boss goes down and gets undercover and wears the clothes of his workers and, go, and he gets a feel of what life is like for them. And Jesus, God is the kind of God that is not into religion, but relationship and wants to come and relate to you. And he wants you to know that Christmas, the, one of the parts of Christmas, the message is that he, he knows what it's like to be human, fully human. One of the first things that was attacked in the early church was not just Jesus' divinity, it was humanity in a thing called Gnosticism and things like this. They actually attacked this, but Jesus was human. He put skin on and he he came and he everything he did, he didn't do necessarily as the son of God, but as a man, I love this quote, it says this, the son of God became the son of man so that sons of men could become the sons of god jesus often referred to himself as the son of man this is really important to understand this in christmas because the first prediction the prophecy of christmas was even before isaiah i'm going to take you there goes way back to genesis chapter 3 verse 15 where the first prophecy prediction about christmas was god speaking to the devil and Adam and Eve had sinned and God said this to the devil. He said in verse 3, 15, uh, chapter 3 verse 15, I will put enmity, enmity between you and the woman. Catch this, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, go with me on a little journey here. God had come and created human beings, had created mankind. And he said, now be fruitful and multiply, have dominion, subdue the earth. He gave man legal authority over the whole earth. Not, the devil didn't have any authority. We had all authority. So God is true to one thing, his word. And when he gave man authority over the earth, and then when man had authority to subdue, to have dominion over everything, we had the legal authority over the planet in a man. A man had it. God no longer had it. He gave it to man. Man. And then when the enemy came, the the only way to get legal authority off man was to be in a body. So you know the story. He came as a serpent. He came in the body of a snake. He obviously did a deal to get that body. And he comes in and he deceives mankind. He deceives us in a way where we sin. Adam and Eve sinned. And then he gets authority. That's why the Bible tells us that he is the prince of the power of the air, that he has authority over the earth. And that's why we live in a sucky world. That's why we live in a world that has dominion of sin and darkness and every bent of man is toward evil because the enemy got legal authority and God couldn't do necessarily anything about it there and then. But he made a promise and he said, hey, I know this has happened, but I even am smarter than you because the Bible says in another place that Jesus is the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Look that one up, Google that one. Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. And God said, look, I'm gonna make you a promise that there's gonna come a time where I'm gonna ma- come in a body of a man, but it has to be a man to get legal authority back. And that's why when Jesus came, it's important that he was born of a virgin. He had to be born of a virgin because when Mary, that young teenage girl, the angel came to her and said, hey, you're favored, God's got favor on you. Uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come and going to uh, conceive in you. And what you're going to give birth to is going to be the Son of God. And so who knows that a mother's blood and a baby's blood cannot mix. They don't mix. It's separate. And so God was setting up a promise here that my offspring, when he comes, when Jesus comes, he's going to come in the form of a man because a man, a mankind has to get the keys back. And that's why he was, he was born of a virgin, not contaminated by Joseph's blood, because Mary and Joseph hadn't done it yet. And so he was, con- he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he was man because he was in Mary in the line of David. And he was a man. And that's why when he rose from the dead, he said, Now... All authority has been given back to me i 've got the keys back i 've got the kingdom back. It took him to do that, and this is his humanity. To us, a child is born, and it's so important to know that that Jesus was born of a virgin because he is the perfect, sinless son of God, son of man that was slain for the world, and that blood was perfect, spotless blood that when it flowed it 's the only blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Why? Because it's not contaminated by human blood. This might be foundational for some of you, but it's so important in our understanding of the gospel, in our understanding of who Jesus was when he came and got authority back. And now you and I, in a sense, don't have to live under the rule of sin and darkness because there's a new government at hand. I find it amazing, a little quick side note, that we see when uh, that angel came to Mary... And isn't it interesting that God thought, what's he going to do to bring salvation to the world? He says, I'm going to start with youth ministry. Youth ministry. Mary, probably 13, 14. I'm going to trust the salvation of this world to youth ministry. Tim was sharing this morning with us about a testimony, and I won't go into it, but a testimony of what's going on in the last night of youth on Friday night. And isn't it exciting what God is doing to turn hearts, to turn people through, people that come to this building on a Friday night who don't come to this church necessarily, who aren't Christians, or they are, but their family's not, and they go back and sing youth ministry. And he comes to Mary, and Mary, I love her response because he said, well, let me read it. He said, she said, he said, I, you've found favour with God, um, you've been selected and you're going to give birth to Jesus and he will be known to save the people of their sins. Now anyway, I love that promise but it's Mary's response that really gets me. Luke 1 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. She said to me, she said, let it be unto me according to your word. And I believe it was at the moment of agreement, boom, that she was pregnant. Because the moment you come in agreement to God's word and God's promises is when you get ready to birth them in your life. And I think it's a powerful thing. If you don't come into agreement with God's word and God's promises, you will miss out. And I don't know whether the the angel was just forcing it on her, but I believe it was her receptivity to the word of God that brings fruitfulness in our lives. I just thought that was a powerful thought for me anyway. Maybe that was just for me, but that's all good. So there's his humanity in Isaiah. Then it says to this, his deity to us a son is given. A child is born, but a son is given. This speaks of the deity, the divinity of Jesus, that he is actually the son of God, prophesying hundreds of years earlier. It says in Luke 1.34, when Mary said, How will this be? Mary answered the angel, Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. He is fully human, but he is fully God as well. It says in Philippians 2 verse 5 and 6 there that uh, he was being in very nature God. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. That's powerful. Nature of a servant and being found in human likeness. He is the God man. See, he is fully God because Jesus, when you think about it, is the only person who was around before he was born. The Bible says in John 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God and the word was with God at the beginning Jesus the lamb slain before the foundations of the world he was with God in creation some people look at Isaiah 9 and there's been a heresy about a thing called modalism that oh, is, is he this is he that uh, Jesus is fully fully God as much as the Holy Spirit is as much as the Father is but he is separate and distinct in that he is the Son of God but he was there at the creation of the world because he was the, the word creating the world so he was there before so he is truly divine so when he comes to earth and wraps skin on and lays aside his majesty, he is not giving up who he actually is. He still holds it. And if this is stretching your head, so it is mine. The Trinity. He is foretelling his, this person will actually be, a son is given. Notice that. I need a drink if I can get that water, please. A son is given. Jesus' life was never taken from him. He gave it. The son was given. It was the gift of God. It's the greatest gift at Christmas. And he was given for you and for me as the son, the only one who could take away sin. Another thing we see here, and the government will be on his shoulders. Sovereignty. The sovereignty of this Messiah was prophesied. He reveals that this child would would shoulder the government. The Hebrew word translated government means dominion, power, sovereignty through legal authority. And the language of placing dominion or the government on someone's shoulders always symbolised royal authority in the day. This would be what kings would carry. They would have a burden. That's why it's on his shoulders. There was a burden for what they would carry. But praise God, we have a king that isn't just in for four years and you do this and then you get another vote and go round and round. Because who knows? Do they really care? They're burdening it for a few years and then they pass it on to somebody else. This is the government will be upon his shoulders. Um, notice I want to say something here that this governing rule that Jesus has by what Isaiah is talking about is looking at yes the second coming when he comes back, where he won't come as a lamb to be slain, but he'll come back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. This is what confused the disciples. They thought his first coming was going to be the royal, whoa, we're going to smash him. We're going to get him. We're going to get out of this oppression. And they were, They thought, that. but no, they missed that He came as the suffering servant to deal with sin. But he's coming back on a white horse, he's coming back in military force, he's coming back with a government, the thousand year reign of Christ and so many end times things that we could go into with Isaiah and Daniel but we're not going to but it's exciting to know that the government is coming back but what I want to say about that is this, there is still an element, a foretaste that we receive as believers when you come to believe in Jesus that his government government is in your life. I don't care who they elect in. well I do care, to be honest, that's a bad statement. I really do care who they elect in politics. I care about it a lot, but I know who I've elected in my life. I know who the King of Kings is, and that's the main government that we live under now in this forte. So it's not yet, but it's also now. If that makes sense. And the great thing about the government, as I said, that that we live under with Jesus is that it's stable. It doesn't change every four years. The great thing about our government is that its promises are never empty. They're never just making a promise to get elected. His promises are true and amen. The great thing about our government is we never go into recession. The economy is always booming, and that every need that you have will be supplied according to his riches in glory. The great thing about our government is that we have private healthcare that is for free. It was sorted at the cross where he said, by your stripes we are healed. The greatest thing about our government is that there is no unemployment because all of us are called into full-time service for the master and have an assignment from heaven. We live under this government. We live under this government. Seven centuries later, the angel Gabriel announced this to Mary and he said, he will be great, he said in Luke 1.32. He will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give him, catch this, the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end He's, he is the highest government he ex- exercises absolute dominion and authority he is the king of kings and the lord of lords so get excited this christmas to understand that we don't live according to the world's government we are not dictated to by what happens in the economy we are not dictated to by what happens around us but we live under the government of jesus christ the son of god the son of man come to die for us And then he says this, and he says, he really is the gift that keeps on giving. He says, says, and he will be called, now I want you to understand this in context, he will be called, that's my last slide, so that's the last slide, that's where we're going to finish. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so what Isaiah is talking about in context is also how he will rule and reign. He's looking way past towards the the second coming of Jesus. But hey, there is a foretaste. There is something about his character. This is the character of the Messiah. And first thing is he is a wonderful counselor. I'm not sure if you've got a counselor. I've been seeing a counselor now for many, many years. And uh, he doesn't charge me. It's free. It's always available. There's never an opportunity. His office is open. First name Holy, second name Spirit. You should see him sometime. He's great, and he is my counselor. Jesus would be called the Wonderful Counselor. And what that actual word, when I looked into it and studied it, means it's not like, oh, he's wonderful. It means his counsel leads to miraculous results. It will cause you to be in wonder of how he counsels. You think about Jesus' life. You think about how he told his disciples, go down and catch a fish and out of his mouth will be this money to pay the taxes. Like, who gives counsel like that? Like, it causes miraculous results. The counsel of God is designed to set you up into doing things in your life, in your business, in your family that no other counsel would give you. Because it is wonderful amazing counsellor that's the type of counsel he will give and when he rules and reigns that's how it will be it will be miraculous Jesus taught many wonderful things that blow our mind like blessed are those who mourn rejoice and be glad in persecution love your enemies and do good to those who hate you this is Jesus's wonderful counsel but it works in life a harsh word stirs up anger But a soft answer turns it down. You won't get that at school. (laughs) This is his wonderful counsel. Jesus' position as wonderful counselor means we can trust him. That we don't have to lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. What do you need this morning? What counsel do you need? What are you going through that you need God's wisdom on? This is what Christmas is about. He's coming to give you wonderful counsel. Next thing he says is that he is mighty God. This, this baby is again talking about his deity, his kingship role. Uh, I love that word mighty, meaning having or showing great power in authority or military leadership, heroic and valiant. And you can think why the early Christians were so confused like this, he's mighty, God is here. And they're watching him carry a cross to a hill called Calvary. And they're thinking back on what they read of Isaiah and like, where's the mighty God gone? And the government on his shoulders? He's got a cross beam on his shoulders. This is the wonderful council, the counselor working majesty in ways that we don't understand what they did. And we are so blessed to live where we are, looking forward to the second coming. So Israel's mighty God would no longer be the suffering servant. He'll come back and he will be mighty God. Uh, This means What this means is not only will he give wonderful counsel, but he'll give you the power to live it out. Uh, The Apostle Paul announced, People of Israel, listen, God publicly endorsed Jesus, the Nazarene, by doing powerful miracles wonders and signs through him acts 2:22. I love Paul's prayer to the Ephesians he says this I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the place of honor at God's right hand catch this in the heavenly realms now he is far above any rule or authority or power or leader or anything else not only in this world but in the world to come, in the world to come. He will be mighty God. There will be a day where there will be no more pain and no more sickness and no more sorrow in the whole world where the the wolf and the lamb will lie down together, where even toddlers can play with snakes and snakes won't hurt toddlers and toddlers won't hurt snakes. It's a miracle, that, in the whole thing. It's, all this stuff is actually in the Bible. And it's like there will be this time of, of this reign of Christ where, where he has for the kingdom coming in its fullness. But you and I, I need to be the ambassadors of this kingdom. We need to get out there and show them what this kingdom looks like now in our hearts, what it looks like to have the mighty God on the inside of you, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, lives in you and me. Mighty God. And then he says this everlasting Father could literally be be translated father of eternity. Again, this is talking about the type of rule this king would have, the type of rule of a compassionate father. What does a compassionate father do? He father protects, he provides. And most importantly, what a father needs to do is to give identity to their children. Tell them who they are. You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. So he's coming. He will bring that with him in his second coming. But also it is here and now and in a world that is absent and missing fathers and absent and attacking fatherhood, attacking masculinity, it is time for the church, amen, to say, hey, we have an everlasting father and your father may have let you down, but let me introduce you to the perfect father, the one who never leave, never forsake you. He's always there. That is our message at Christmas. He may be a baby in a manger, but he wants to be a father in your life. He wants to introduce you to God the Father. This is not saying, and this has been attacked before, to say that, that um, in modalism, that it's saying Jesus is Father God. It's not saying that. It's talking about the type of rule he would have. And he is the only way to the Father. And then it says, the Prince of Peace. And I'll finish on this point. If The team want to come back up. The Prince of Peace. Who knows what the Hebrew word for peace is? Shalom. Shalom. And that means so much. It's so rich, isn't it? The word shalom referring to not just, you know, peace. It's referring to not the absence of problems, but the presence of God. And in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. There is peace. There is tranquility. And in the midst of a storm, you can still have that peace. The Greek word Irene, sounds like Irene, means unity and accord. And Paul uses Irene to describe the objective of the New Testament church. But more deeper meaning of peace is the spiritual harmony brought about by an individual's restoration with God. That's really what it is about. So 700 years later, the angel would say this, glory to God in the highest heaven, as was read this morning, and on earth, peace. Peace. But it doesn't stop there. And this is what I'm praying tonight at Stirk Park Carols, that this peace wouldn't stop there. It says, peace to those on whom his favour rests. The United Nations was formed uh, after World War II, I believe, some years ago, and they had uh, a part of what they were, their mission and their goal was that there would be no more war. Someone needs to ring them and tell them it's not working. <laughs> there has been more war and more war. World peace is not what this is prophesying world peace is not what christmas brings world peace is not the answer personal peace with god is See, you cannot have the peace of god unless you first have peace with god and there's three types of peace there's the peace with god which romans 5 talks about that we have been justified you know the word justified i love that it's just if i had died for my sins when I believed and trusted in Jesus, it's, it's been paid for just if I died for Now I haven't, and He did it for me. I've been justified. I have no longer to answer for my sin. And it says, because of that justification, when things are justified, you get peace. You now have peace with God. And I hope this morning you have peace with God this Christmas. You see, if you're a Christian, you have it even when you don't feel like you have it. You do have peace with God if you're a Christian. You might have stuffed up last night, yesterday, this week, might have done something that you think is bad and you may have sinned. And that has not changed the fact that you have peace with God. But then Paul also talks about this other type of peace, which is in uh, Philippians 4 about having the peace of God that when we pray and give our requests to God and when we, we hand over our cares to Him, that the peace of God which transcends understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's, that's cool. That's better. The peace with God is essential. Peace of God makes you a living testimony. And others want that. I love being around people who have the peace of God because it rubs off on me and I feel more relaxed. When you're around anxious people and stressed people and heightened people, it rubs off on you as well. So let's be that church that when we're out on mission, say, God, I thank you that I have peace with you. But your word prophesied that you would be the prince of peace. And if the prince of peace lives in me, then I want to spread that peace of God. And then there is another kind of peace which is still on the way, and that's eternal peace. Eternal peace with the kingdom, the new government will bring. It'll be completely at peace. Jesus said this, in my last scripture He said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Do you have that peace this morning? My prayer is that we do, that you would receive Jesus's peace. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, today is an opportunity to say, oh, I want peace with God. Because the Bible is clear that you're an enemy of God. We are enemies of God because of our sin. And Jesus came to forgive us of our sin, to die that death that we could not die, to rise again and to offer us the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life. And if you have that this morning, you have something worth more than anything money can buy. You may you could buy a bed from Spain and have like pearls from... Italy and rubies from another country you could have this amazing bed that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars and you know what's worth more than that? Sleeping in it and having peace doesn't matter, money can buy, the peace that God can bring nothing you get, maybe a temporary satisfaction but the peace of God is eternal because it says that his government and the peace thereof is forevermore. I love the song that says it is well with my soul you know that old song, it is well with my soul and the story behind it is quite powerful isn't it where he lost his family the writer of that song in those seas where he lost them and as he was on the boat looking at where they drowned and he wrote when peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well with my soul so as I close this morning is it well with your soul? As I close this morning are you at peace with God? Maybe you are but you're a Christian and you're like man I am but I'm not really expressing the peace of God. I'm going to pray a simple prayer this morning of just receiving that peace afresh with God and of God. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I'm going to invite you to Pray it after me if you'd like. And maybe you're here this morning, you've never prayed these words out loud. You've never asked Jesus to forgive you and give you his peace. This is your opportunity to confess that you need it. So feel free to repeat after me. Say, dear Lord, I come to you this morning so thankful that you offer peace. As a sinner in need of saving, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead. Please forgive me of all my sin. Wash me clean. Make me brand new. Thank you that you give me peace with God. I believe it. I trust you. And Father, I ask you, fill me with the peace of God right now in Jesus' name amen father i just pray over us as a church father over every person here this morning lord maybe someone who prayed that for the first time that you give them the boldness and the courage to speak to somebody that maybe they come with or or myself one of the leaders and say hey i prayed that prayer tell me to help me get on the journey of following jesus father i pray the peace of god over us at this christmas time father i pray that we would cast all our cares upon you and lord that your peace would flow through us like a river, to the world around us. And we give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as I get the worship team back up?